0: Look at my
1: butt. Show number 272 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK talk trek. Well, listeners, here we are uh, trapped in our homes. We're locked down. We're in the brig and we're just not allowed out. But we're persevering and we hope that you too are persevering through these very troubled times. Really? So what are we doing? Well, we're staying home and watching Star Trek. That's a lot of what I've been doing. And that's pretty good, I have to say, keeping me distracted. And that's that's important. It is important. So we're going to spend some time talking about Picard, the Picard show. And then we're going to talk about uh, the long-promised emails that we had teased a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And, and what some of our friends had to say to us. So that'll be good. So uh, as far as Picard goes, I wanted to tell you kitty what happened in the last couple episodes and then uh, we can talk about this interesting article that you sent me and
2: what I think about that so all right well I'm already updated on the the part one of the last two episodes because we covered that in the last show Mm -hmm. so go let us know what happened the first part of
1: the two-part finale involved our crew of ragtag heroes making their way to the planet of the androids which they did and there they were facing the potential Romulan invasion. The Romulans were going to show up to destroy everything on the whole planet.
2: Not just the synths, but whatever's there. Just
1: everything. They, they said planetary sterilization or something like that. And then additionally, the Borg cube had followed them there and crashed on the planet too. So we've got those two <laughs> things happening at the same time.
2: They've got a great pilot.
1: <laughs> so... All of these things are happening at once. So my first comment is that um, I liked the finale. I thought it was good. I thought there were a few missteps. I also thought it should have been at least 30 minutes longer because there was way too much plot to wrap up in, in a single hour. And they could have, I think, legitimately cut the series down by a couple of episodes and spent more time on this finale because this was where all the important stuff was really happening. And there were way too many loose ends at the end of it, a lot of which I'm going to figure are not ever going to be wrapped up. So I don't know. We'll we'll see hmm. what happens. So in brief, they make it to the planet of the synths. They're there. Um, the synths have decided that they're going to open this portal to another dimension to call for help from the... Um, synthesized not synthesized the the non-organic life forms that exist in this other dimension that they've been talking about for a couple of episodes and they do and while this is going on picard keeps saying no no don't do it because when these other life forms come through they're going to destroy all the organic life in the entire universe and that's not a good thing like sure you know we suck as species organic life (laughs) forms but we don't deserve to be genocided just because so don't do that. right and uh so the choice comes down to soji who is our android daughter of data and mm-hmm. the choice that she's going to make is she going to open the portal and let them through or is she not going to open the portal and let them through and it takes some good speechifying by our man picard to convince her it's a bad idea and so she's it opens but then in the end she decides not to to let this happen and so she closes it and then that's done in the meantime, the Romulans do show up, and they are headed off at the pass by the Federation, showing up somewhat unexpectedly, led by um, our very tall man, Captain Riker. So oh, it
2: was nice to see. okay, yeah. so he was back in, cool. He
1: was back in, and he was very good. He was being very Riker-y, and being authoritative, and just being an acting captain, so that was good.
2: So he's not retired from Starfleet or anything,
1: He's, he's um, what do they call it? He's not on active duty, but he still mm-hmm. holds rank, so they can call him back if necessary. Um,
2: okay, so he's in a, a, a Starfleet vessel and has a crew?
1: Yes, he, he is in a badass Starfleet vessel, and he has a crew, and there's lots of other Starfleet vessels that show up, and there's a very tense standoff where it's not clear if the Romulans are going to go ahead and fight this Federation force. In the end, they decide not to, and then they leave. So, wow. Good, good choice Romulans for not doing that. Yeah. And then the thing happens that I knew was going to happen. And I've been saying this, which is that Picard's uh, brain thing (laughs) finally, finally kicks in and big, huge spoilers here. Picard dies. Okay. But you know what? He didn't actually die. (laughs)
2: Because nobody dies and stays dead in Star Trek, especially if they're the lead. (laughs) And
1: they've been renewed for a second and third season.
2: Right. So this this for
1: me felt... The, the most hollow part of the whole thing. There was mm-hmm. a lot of really good character development throughout, and even in this last episode, where you really got to care for people, and there were parts where you weren't sure if people were going to survive or not, and they're, you know, secondary cast, so they could be killed off at any moment. You don't know. Mm-hmm. But they really played the death of Picard out like it was going to. Tear jerk. And it didn't. I mean, I was. (laughs) No,
2: that's so pathetic.
1: And maybe for other people it did, but I just could not. This is a thing that I I know about myself when I am watching something and I know that the death isn't real in Mm -hmm. terms of the storyline. I I can't get emotionally involved. I just can't because you don't. There's.
2: (laughs) You know, you're being manipulated.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so. They did what I said they were going to do, which was that they took his his brain engrams or whatever and they put it in an android body
0: mm-hmm. that looks
1: exactly like him. So he is now essentially an android. Picard is an android. That is how the second season is going to start off.
2: Now, if they were going to do this, I'm getting too realistic here, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say it anyway. Wouldn't they have put him in, like, a younger version? And you maybe think so. A version with hair, you know? <laughs>
1: They actually took the time to say, we wanted you to feel comfortable. We wanted you to be, you know, the same. They go out of their way to explain that he's not immortal now, Uh that the body is going to age and eventually stop working. Uh, They did not get into the fine grain details, which is, could he be killed? You know, what could he bleed to death? Is he going to bleed blood if somebody stabs him? I don't know. They didn't say so.
2: Well, you know, the, the, the android body is a physical body, so let's say he steps on a landmine and is blown to little pieces. Mm-hmm.
1: In that case, I would say yes, he could die, but he does he have arteries? Can he bleed out if he gets stabbed in an artery? I don't know. So... Well,
2: I would say no to that one, to having arteries. Why would they go to the trouble of, of building in extra things that are very fragile and can go yeah. wrong and are not necessary?
1: Yes, exactly. So, this this for me raises a lot of questions about Picard's status in the future seasons. So yes, is he going to be essentially Superman, where we're not going to have to worry about him ever getting injured, aside from perhaps stepping on a landmine or getting phasered or something like that? Can he breathe in space? Does he need to breathe in space? Can well, he Data,
2: d- Data, you know, could go in space yeah. and not. Feel any ill effects? I'm wondering, is he going to become like the leader of the androids in this, not quite war, but this, you know, androids are in hiding and maybe
1: it's possible. It's... I, I don't know. I, they left mm-hmm. that wide open. You know, the okay. the, end, the ending felt very rushed. You know, they put Picard into the android body. Um, Then they say goodbye, they get back on the ship, he's there with his ragtag band of heroes, which now includes Seven of Nine, which is kind of cool. I was happy to see Mm -hmm. her and I hope she's a regular next season because she was so good. And then they're off on their next adventure. So I don't know, I don't really know what's going to happen. But I really am fearful that... That they're going to start next season not dealing with any of those questions. That they're just going to pretend like everything is normal again. And maybe Mm. once in a while people are going to mention like, oh yeah, by the way, did you know he's an android? But they're (laughs) they're not actually going to grapple with these questions of mortality for Picard. Mm -hmm. Because that seems pretty darn important for a reason I'm going to get to in a second. So that was just that happened so now he's okay. an android he's a okay human in an android body and no they didn't give him hair or anything like that <laughs> um so that was bad <laughs> i want to unequivocally <laughs> say i didn't like it and i thought it was stupid and it had no emotional resonance for me whatsoever and you know i i get emotional and i did get emotional during this but not for that reason when characters really do die even if i know they're going to die like i remember when we went to the movies to see um the last uh, return of the king and mm-hmm. you know when they're getting on the boat and we were all crying it was like oh it's so sad because it I is knew, i i knew it was going to happen how many times have i read that and, and yeah, it still well, it was it was sad
2: well let me ask you this in in the many times you've read it have you gotten emotional at that part every time some of the time
1: most of the time, definitely yeah. most of the time, because it's, 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 I mean, it's very well written and, and you've yeah. been on this huge journey and you know these mm-hmm. characters and you know that in the context of the story, there's no reset button. Like, this is it. This right. is the way it's right. going to be yes. for these characters. So all of that.
2: Yeah, but, that, that scene in, in both the book and the movie make me very emotional. Yeah,
1: yeah. So here's what happened that made me very emotional. Um, okay, Throughout the whole thing, Data has been there. Brent Spiner plays Data, and he shows up in Picard's dreams, um, to, you know, just as a, you know, dreams. Like we were just talking about dreams. Right, right. are weird, <laughs> and and sometimes he's giving a little bit of information, and sometimes it's just Picard recalling something that happened. Mm-hmm. So when Picard dies, when he dies in the show, um, there's a scene where he wakes up in a room this very dark room <laughs> and the first thing he goes he says is oh another dream i'm so tired of these dreams and it was quite funny like as patrick stewart is good playing annoyance like Ugh, yes you yes. know i'm in a dream i hate these dreams and data comes and sits down they have this most amazing scene it lasts pretty long like five minutes i would say wow where they're talking to each other and picard realizes that he's dead And Data says, yeah, sir, you're you're dead and explains that data, the data that we knew has had his consciousness uploaded into this computer matrix. And he's been there all along. And that was part of why Picard was having dreams. Data was sort of reaching out to him through this matrix somehow. And now Mm -hmm. Picard is there, too, because they've taken his consciousness to then put into the android body. So he gets to be there with Data for a little bit. And they have this beautiful conversation about mortality and their friendship. And Picard is just saying, I've missed you so much. And I'm so happy to see you and to talk with you. I've missed your, he says, your strange, beautiful face. And, it, oh, God, it's good. I mean, oh, so wow. such good acting on both their uh-huh. parts. And, you know, Brent Spiner is so good at playing Data as not having emotions right like he Mm -hmm. he doesn't but the things that he says and indicates show that he does i I don't know it's just so hard to explain but he's wonderful they're both so wonderful in this Mm -hmm. and so they they have this great conversation and picard is saying Um, well I guess I'll have to go and you know um, Data's like yeah you know something's going to happen to you you're not going to stay here I stay here but you don't and then he asks Picard to basically turn him off because he doesn't want to be in this matrix by himself anymore
2: oh wow
1: I cried. I re- I'm i feeling it now, even as I'm telling you. It was so touching. And he, again, Brent Spiner playing Data, no emotion, but yet conveying the fact that he's been trapped in this place by himself, really, for all uh-huh. this time. And, you know, who wants to be immortal? Yeah. It, and that the beauty of life is the ending to life, right? That it has an uh-huh. ending and that you're not just going on existing for no reason. And so he asks that, it's like, would you do this, do a favor for me? And Picard says, of course. And that's one of the things he does. And the the scene of him doing that, again, is so beautiful. So you get Mm -hmm. to see Picard as he's, it was a scene, and I'm sure this was very deliberate. Um, Do you remember in 2001, A Space Odyssey, when the astronaut is unplugging Hal and he's pulling the chips out of this beautiful glass matrix? They're like... Mm -hmm it's what he's doing so there's a machine and picard is taking these long rectangular glass chips out of it as he's slowly shutting data down and saying these words about you know he was almost like he was the most human you know it was very Mm -hmm. much in 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 line with kirk's speech about spock
2: well since we can all get this free now i'm gonna go and watch just that scene because that sounds remarkable and i would love to see it it's so good um
1: and so then we also see this scene from Data's point of view where he's in this, still in this matrix and it's very dark and there's just like furniture with, it looks like, you know, sheets thrown over it like an old abandoned house and there's music playing and Data lays down on a couch and he's got a little drink and Picard is there as as the Picard that he knew when in, in his old captain's uniform and mm-hmm. as this is happening and Picard is unplugging him. It gets darker and darker and darker (sighs) and they show uh, data's face and his face starts to age. And then he just drifts away and he becomes sort of smoke. It's amazing. It's I've got it.
2: I've got to watch that. That I would.
1: (sighs) It was the best thing. I was so upset. (laughs) I
0: just was sitting there like (laughs) tears running down my face. Like, Oh no,
1: because in that instance, data really died, you know, when when he died at, at Nemesis, right, like that's what happened mm-hmm. in that stupid movie was that he got blown up. Right. But we knew that he wasn't really blown up because they explained at the end that he had downloaded all his experiences into the other more inferior data model, which was called B4. Mm-hmm. So they completely set it up as, no, he's not really dead. He might come back. But yeah. this was this was the end. I mean, this is it. There's no more data. Data's gone. Mm-hmm. And he went out the way he wanted to. And Picard helped him you know, whatever, cross
2: that bridge. And
1: it was amazing.
2: Do you know what it kind of reminds me of? I wish I could think of the the name of the story, but like in my early days of fanfic, I read this story. It was a Voyager story, Mm. but it involved Kirk, so that's why I read it. But Tom (laughs) Paris and Kirk... We're having oh. this affair where Kirk was a hologram. Yes,
0: I remember that story. Yes.
2: Yeah, and it was—it wasn't called the bug in the machine, but it was
0: something in the machine. I think it was ghost in the machine. Ghost in the machine.
2: Yes. And at the end of it, when Kirk has become aware that he's not a real person, yeah. he's a, a a program. He asks Tom to delete yes. the program, and oh.
1: It was very much like that. Yep. That's that good call. I I hadn't remembered that until just now, but it was it was much like that. So Yeah. That was absolutely the best thing to come out of Picard and I'm really glad they did it. And again, it was such a contrast to Picard's death scene, which meant nothing. And this meant everything.
2: Yeah. So that's my
1: opinion. I don't know if people agree with that or not, but um it, it really it pointed up a lot of the themes, and it really reinforced the theme of the fact that the androids, the synths, are real. Like they have lives, and those lives mm-hmm. end at some point, and we need to respect that. So they they sort of encapsulated it all in data. And I'm so glad that Brent Spiner came back and did that. You know, he he's so good. I, I know I said this before, but I am so impressed with the level of acting in this show. From, mm-hmm. from people that we'd seen in other Star Trek franchises like um, yeah, Jonathan Frakes and Marina
0: Sirtis and, and Jerry Ryan. So good. Like, wow. Now
2: that it's a cable show that you pay for, mm-hmm. they are freed as writers and actors and creative people from a lot of the network constraints. Mm-hmm. And so they can explore issues that as an actor, those are a gift Mm -hmm. to be given a good scene like that. Mm -hmm. And I think they're all very aware we could not have done this when we were, you know, making TNG.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm grateful that they've done this. And I am so hopeful that they give those same opportunities to some of the other Star Trek actors. Because there's loads of cameos that they could have, and they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they're not just fan service cameos. They they serve the story and they serve the characters. And I would love to see older versions of Geordie or Worf or you know whoever that they could get to come back and do little key roles where you could see them mm-hmm. and really just
0: stretch their their acting muscles. Is so good. Yeah. Oh, oh, um. Okay. Let me
2: ask you a question. Yes. So what have what happened to the other role? that Brent Spiner is playing, which is um, Dr. Soong's son. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's there. I mean, he, he stays on the planet with the androids. He doesn't go anywhere. And
1: he just says, um, you know, I'm going to continue to work with them and, and see what we can do. But they left the whole Borg cube thing unresolved. You know, since Seven goes with Picard, who's looking after it? What are they doing with all those ex-Borg that are still on the ship? Just hanging out? sending the federation to help um could you clarify are they
2: Exborg now the the ones on the the queue
1: yes i think they're all Exborg. yeah and they they need help i mean they can't really fend for themselves they need they're they're organic they need to eat and stuff so Mm -hmm. they they mentioned nothing about that so that was a little bit shocking like okay i guess and then um they the the traitor romulan traitor person who was uh posing as the head of security for starfleet at the commodore level um nothing happened to her she got to leave (laughs) (laughs) so they didn't arrest her or try to do anything else so that was a little weird like okay that was a pretty big plot point and i feel like you didn't really follow up on that Mm -hmm. so there were things like that that i just don't know If they're going to resolve it. Oh, also, um, I didn't tell you this plot line because it was confusing. (laughs) But there's a, a, a scientist who's on the ship with Picard. She's been there since they left Earth. And during the course of all of this, she ended up murdering Bruce Maddox. Because Who's he he, uh, he was the guy who originally wanted to take Data apart, and he oh okay all
2: right I know who the, he is then. yeah
1: then he's the one who went to the synth planet to make more sense I mean he's basically the reason why they were able to to move forward with their him him and 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 um, Data's brother <laughs> uh, <laughs> son of of Sung they they were working together to do this so at one point did they
2: get the same actor
0: No, it was a different actor. Oh, okay. And I and I don't know why. They,
2: All right. Well maybe the original actor's dead or just didn't want to do it. Didn't want to okay.
0: Do it. So
1: so at one point he's on the ship with Picard and company and she kills him because she thinks that he's gonna be responsible for the whole apocalypse. And they said at several points this was wrong and she was really sorry and she was gonna turn herself in at the next star base that they went to. Then this is never mentioned again. So is she still going to turn herself in, or did Mm -hmm. they forget about that? Or like that was again pretty big plot point, and it seemed like they just skated right over it. So I wish that they dealt with that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to also mention just in terms of the way it was all resolved. I saw some people complaining online, and I think this is a valid complaint that Star Trek has a habit of setting up situations where there's an oppressed minority which we've seen Mm -hmm. in many many episodes yes and the oppressed minority has to prove their worthiness and they are often championed by uh, our hero who is typically a white guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether he's James Kirk or Jean-Luc Picard or you know one of the others Mm -hmm. Um, and it always seems to be the case that the oppressed minority has to prove that they're better And Mm -hmm. that feels really unfair in a lot of ways. Like, they're never allowed just to to make mistakes and be who they are. They always have to be better than everybody else just to to allow themselves to live. And that seems really unfair. And I agree with that, you know.
2: And it's unfair in uh, the real world. Yeah. Yes. You know, they always say a a woman has to do twice as much as a man. That's right. Luckily, it's not too hard. But, you know... um, yeah, it's the same for and for black people yeah. living
1: in the United States. I mean, you have to be perfect all the time. You can never make a exactly. mistake. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and so this was more of that where, you know, Picard is encouraging Soji to do the right thing and to close the portal. And she does. But, you know, as a, a race, a, an oppressed minority that had been basically banned throughout the galaxy by the Federation, they're not allowed to be angry. They're not allowed to try to find their own solutions. Like
2: you Yeah. Know. Well, you know, that is not just true of Star Trek, although it is a valid criticism, because there's a, a, a thing in movies, which is called The Great White Savior. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so all the stories about black oppression mm-hmm. are almost always told from the point of view of a white man.
0: Yep, exactly right. So it's too bad that they they leaned into that, I think,
1: a little bit too hard. It could have Mm -hmm. been done better, just like the Picard thing. It could have been done better where, you know, rather than having him die, they could have had him on life support and said, oh, this thing with transferring him into an android body. So risky. Is it going to work? And it still would have built up all the tension and Mm -hmm. all of that without so transparently saying, eh, he's not really going to die. Let's have these characters get all upset and stuff. Yeah. Annoying. Now. Here's the one really big thing that I was not expecting. So when they open this portal to another dimension, mm-hmm. what we see is uh, like in Star Trek, when wormholes open, you know what that looks like, right? It's a big spinny right. disk that opens up and stuff comes out of it. And what comes yeah. out of this are these black machiny octopus looking arms. And I looked at that and I went, we've seen those in Discovery. So I, I remembered, and I meant to look this up, I can't remember which episode it was, but there was an episode where um, some of the, the crew, I don't know if it was uh, Stamets who went, but I think it was, they used the, the spore network to go uh, into the future, and they were in a little like escape pod, and they were immediately attacked by a big <gasps> black thing that was trying to get in, and it was pounding on it, and yeah, yeah, it was that. That was what was coming through the, the, the wormhole.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. So I was like, okay, now they're tying it to what's going to happen in Discovery, maybe. Maybe. I, I was wondering, so this portal that they opened up, was it to a different dimension? Was it to the future? Was it to an alternate timeline? They didn't explain it, but it was very clearly the same sort of robotic, evil, octopus army thing that was coming through. And that was wow. really cool. Yeah, I know. I, I got so excited. I'm pointing at the TV. Look at the thing. It's just from Discovery. Yeah. Wow. So we'll see what happens. Um, I would yeah. be delighted if they managed to tie this into Discovery a little bit more. Whatever they're doing in Discovery for the next season. They released a little trailer showing um, uh, Burnham with long hair and carrying a very tattered Federation flag. So I don't know what that means. But
0: mm, Okay.
1: We, we'll see. So just to wrap up this very long uh Picard show discussion, uh by the way, there were no dogs and tutus in that last episode and very <laughs> very little music, so
2: And no puppets. No puppets. No, oh, no
1: puppets. Damn. Yeah. So You sent me this article that appeared wait, in the Wait, wait, I have oh, a question yes. oh, before sure. we move
2: on. Yes. Okay, um I have seen the headlines and I want you I want to hear your response to this mm. that it was revealed that seven of nine is gay. <laughs> so
1: Not really. Not not, not that she's not gay. It's that it wasn't really revealed. So (laughs) there were two two things. One was in the episode where they went to Space Las Vegas that I told you about. Right. uh, There was a woman who was in charge of um, information and various other things happening with the Borg. And it was very heavily implied that she and Seven had had a relationship at one point. It wasn't stated. It was just the way they were talking and... All of the things that they were saying, if it had been a man and a woman, you totally would have done. Yeah, they did it. So
0: yeah, okay. there was
1: that. And then at the very, very end of the last episode, as we're panning around the inside of the ship and we're seeing everybody doing their things, we see Seven and um, the woman named Raffi, who was uh, Picard's friend from Starfleet, they're sitting oh, yeah. at a table and they're playing three-dimensional chess or something like that. And they've got their hands pressed together and their fingers are locked very, uh very intimately, and they're sort of mm. you know talking and looking at each other, and that was cool. But it's on screen for like three seconds.
2: You oh know? well, apparently everybody picked up on it because I've seen several articles, you know, popping up about that, and I didn't bother to read them because I knew you would tell me what was mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, so okay. so cool. You
1: know, that's fine. I think there this um the the new current iteration of Star Trek is you know it's fine for people to have whatever sexuality they want to have, whether they're um, homosexual or heterosexual or, or bisexual or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. It's not important mm-hmm. it's just who they are. And so that I, I thought it was cool. I was like, oh, of two characters that I would ship, I would never have picked those two people. But now that they are, I like it and it's good.
2: Yeah. Okay, good. Well, and I'm glad you, you uh, explained who Rathy was because I was wondering... You know, from what little little I know was, you know, what occurred and who did it occur with mm-hmm. that told everybody this. So, OK. All right. Okay.
0: Now you may move on. OK. Um, let's hope we see more of that. That would be a good thing. So this
1: article in The Guardian is called Star Trek Picard is the dark reboot that boldly goes where nobody wanted it to. And then the sub- subhead says, Trek used to be a vision of an optimistic future, but there is a world of difference between the Amazon reboot and previous adventures of the Enterprise. Sure, I agree with the premise that, yeah, there is a world of difference between them. But I disagree with the last paragraph, which I'm going to read you right now. <laughs> um, As we all cower in our homes for fear of a threat we cannot see, a dose of optimism about the future would be more appreciated than ever. But sadly, all we are left with is a choice between Star Trek that doesn't really feel like Star Trek at all or a dodgy covers band playing the greatest hits. What a fate (laughs) for a once great franchise. And to that, I cordially say, go fuck yourself, because (laughs) that's not true at all. Um, So the person who wrote this, this guy... Not to get too down on a guy writing about Star <laughs> Some Trek. Guy. Well, you know, yeah. male, male entitled fans kind of thing. Um, he's yeah. complaining that Picard and Discovery are not optimistic enough. And I. They're not TNG. I mean, that is kind of the point.
0: Mm-hmm. And.
1: He complains a little bit about how when it was episodic TV, you know, you had time to have the lighthearted episodes where people were funny and and you got to, like, do a little more character exploration and stuff like that. And because Discovery and Picard are um, limited series, there's not a lot of room for that. And he doesn't like that. So, Mm -hmm. okay, that's your choice, buddy. That's not what this is. Um, This is a different kind of storytelling. And also things change, right? This isn't yeah. the 90s anymore. This isn't the 60s anymore. This, this isn't the early 2000s anymore. Things have changed and people's sensibilities have changed. And that was kind of the point of Picard was that he had changed. You know, his mm-hmm. basic optimistic view had been sort of uh, put through the ringer, but he still persevered at the end and got Soji to do the right thing and, and got the Romulans to do the right thing by not having a war. So that was all good. But I, I think to read that as it is worse than TNG rather than it is different than TNG is, is mm-hmm. just short-sighted. And also, he mentions Deep Space Nine um, and says, The difference was that Deep Space Nine, much like the best of Star Trek, managed to balance its meteor themes of PS- PTSD, faith, and wartime atrocities with episodes where everybody got to dress up to visit a holographic version of 60s Las Vegas.
0: hmm
1: so, again, Episonic TV, they had to do that. Those were called filler episodes, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if we remember. But if you watch the last three seasons of DS9, there's very little filler. There's mm. very little of that. It's super dark. And this was brought home to me because when I watched the last episode of Picard, I was kind of flicking around to see what was on. And Deep Space Nine was on. So I watched it. And it was an episode, I think it was season four, where... Um, the picard cisco and the crew of the defiant wharf and the other folks uh have to cooperate with the soldiers of the dominion the gem hadar who they don't like because we're going to be at war with the dominion really really soon Mm -hmm. um, to put down a rebellion of other gem hadar soldiers so it's working with the enemy against the enemy Mm -hmm. and it's very dark and it's very gray and nobody comes out looking good it's it's like this is what it's like when you're in a war and you have to make choices, hard choices. Mm-hmm. And that's as dark as anything that was on Picard or Discovery, where you don't know who you can trust and mm-hmm. people die. And sometimes you have to, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. And that was their whole thing for the last couple of seasons. And I just don't see a difference. I, I don't see how that is different from what they're trying to do in Discovery and Picard. Right. I don't know. So well, I think I missed the point. I,
2: I kind of agree with you, but as we know, I am I am really TOS-focused. Mm-hmm, I've, mm-hmm. I've never watched DS9, never watched Voyager. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen all the TNG episodes now, although not necessarily in the correct order. Um, But... As you were talking, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, for me, TOS exists like in a bubble. Yes. And it, you know how there are historians who, like, are so focused on the year 1327 (laughs) and, and everything, and it's like, that is their bubble, and they're passionate about it, and it's real to them. And I'm thinking, that's how I am about TOS. Mm-hmm. And if these other historians are interested in other years, and they don't take into account my year, you know, well, that's okay. They're they're in their bubbles. And I have accepted that, you know, not just Star Trek, but television and entertainment standards and... Wants have evolved, so Mm -hmm. it does. It doesn't bother me. And I remember at one point when we were talking about Discovery, while you know, while it was still on, and I was saying, you know, it's it's really got a a very Battlestar Galactica flavor, and that's what I'm thinking from what you've said of Picard and, and you know all that we've seen that that's kind of what what is happening here. And the thing I want to point out about Battlestar is yes, they did not have comic episodes, but within the episodes there were some lighter moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true of
1: Picard as well. They they okay. did that. They took the time to do it. There mm-hmm. was a hilarious scene recently where um on the ship that they're on, La Serena the pilot has created a bunch of holograms to do stuff and help him mm-hmm. like, like the doctor on Voyager mm-hmm. and they're all him, but they all talk with different accents. And at one point, Rafi's trying to get some information and so she gathers them all into a room. So it's her and a bunch of these holograms who don't want to mm-hmm. answer her questions. It's great. It's really funny. And the the actor who plays the captain can do all those accents pretty well. And oh, wow. it's, it, it's, you know, it's silly and it's snarky and it's funny, and it's like good for them for including that. So mm-hmm. that was there. and space Las Vegas was funny. There were parts of it that were quite funny, okay. So it's just it's different. and i I disagree that optimism is absent from discovery and Picard. I think it's it's there. It's just expressed in a different way. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's a reflection of the times as well. You know, when you think about the context of the 60s for TOS.
2: Uh, well, and I was just thinking the reality of the 60s. Yes. You know, there was this great optimism. Yes. You know, JFK, and then he was mm-hmm. killed, and that changed things. And then there was the great optimism of the hippies, and then mm-hmm. that went sour. And I feel like... you know the 60s leading up to now (laughs) you can't say oh we've got we've still got great optimism that we can do anything you know
1: yeah that's life (laughs) exactly and and you know with TNG in in the the late 80s and 90s there was a a different type of optimism there I think Mm -hmm. people were very like oh globalization is good and and look businesses are going to save us and and all of the you know stuff that was being talked about at that time which turned out not to be true and I don't see how you could make a bubbly, optimistic show now, given the reality that we have to live in every day. You know, mm-hmm. the, the author of this piece points out that um, the Orville, he thinks, is more similar to Old Trek than Picard or Discovery. And sure, but it's a comedy, mostly, right? It right,
2: wasn't... and... Uh, <laughs> um... I've heard heard, or read, you know, other people saying that, and uh, unfortunately, I do not watch the Orville, because I cannot stand Seth, what's his name? Oh,
1: McFarland, yeah.
2: McFarland, I I just, I can't watch him, (laughs) and he's the lead, so, you know, that kills it. But also, I would say, okay, I, I get what the guy's saying, he wants the Star Trek or something similar to it that he holds deep in his heart. Mm-hmm. But you're not entitled to that. It's not <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yours. But so, if you do need some optimism, optimistic things to watch on television, there are things out there. And I would recommend he watch The Good Place. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, agreed. Uh, there are plenty of optimistic things that you can watch that will give mm-hmm. you that feeling. Or you know what, you can just keep, going back and watching DOS, <laughs> it's not hard to find. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really not that hard to find. You know, I'm just looking at this article. It has 1,306 comments.
2: Oh my God.
1: <laughs> I am not reading any of those comments. Okay, because it's, don't. It's, it's going to be a <laughs> cesspit of people talking about it. Um, but, You know, they had to give it a controversial headline, right? The dark reboot that boldly goes where nobody wanted it to. Well, I would disagree. I would say a lot of people Mm -hmm. wanted it to go there. And it said some, Picard anyway, said some pretty profound things about mortality and did it in a very effective and touching way. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it is not a bad, what did he say? Let me read that again. A fate for a, what a fate for a once great franchise. Like, shut
2: up. (laughs) And believe me, (laughs) there are much worse fates for this once great franchise, such as uh, the uh, Jar Jar Abrams universe. That's correct. Yes. Yes. Than this is. That's
1: exactly right. There are many, many worse things that could happen. And... There are so many more things that are going to happen, right? There's Mm -hmm. going to be more Picard. There's going to be more Discovery. There's going to be the animated stuff. There's probably going to be an Enterprise, um, a Pike series, you know, like, Mm -hmm. let's be happy that we have these things that are comforting in such troubled times, I would say.
2: Well, and also, it's like, I feel like it's so much of fanfic over the, I don't know, what is it, 50 years or something now? have expanded that world, expanded the viewpoints. I mean, some of the darker fanfic that was written, I just adore, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, because it told us more about the characters. And finally, the presentation on television and maybe in movies as well, that we're seeing from the people who own the canon is is catching up with that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It's delving into the characters and the the reason I
2: the reason I started reading fanfic in the first place was I wanted more. I wanted to see more of my characters. What else were they doing? Mm-hmm. And I got it. And mm-hmm. it also was not just more of, I just want to see, you know, more Kirk. It was more of Kirk exploring different aspects of the universe, aspects of himself, everybody. You know, it, it just went to all these, these places. Wow, that made... My little bubble of TOS mm-hmm. more real because mm-hmm. the real world has lots more
0: going on, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um,
1: I, I think we have talked about before that the people who are now producing the Canon, as you said, for them, it is like writing their fanfic, right? because mm-hmm. th- this was a, a uh, an IP to use the legal term, that they lived with their whole lives. So now they're getting a chance to write it and do what we did when we wrote our fanfic. And mm-hmm. I'm all for that. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And you know what? They're the ones in charge. That they get to make the decisions. And that's uh, right. just because we're fans, we don't get to dictate what they do. So those mm-hmm. people can get in the sea, as they say. Um, I've been talking for a really long time, and I am, in fact, sick of the sound of my own voice. So <laughs> let's take a break and then we'll come back and then you have some things to talk about so I can um, drink my iced tea and you can fill us in on some emails
2: okay we'll be back
0: we'll be back space a final frontier these are the voyages of the starship Enterprise it's five year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before.
1: Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookatisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news.
2: everybody. We're back, and what I want to talk about is a couple of emails we received that had some interesting things to say about the podcast and about Star Trek. The first one is an old friend of mine, Wildcat, and we were very, very close during our fan days. She was my beta reader, and I was hers, and her thing that she wrote, mostly, was she shipped Spock and Uhura. Mm-hmm. And she, her stories are out there and, you know, you can find them and they're just amazing. One of her favorite things to do was to spackle events <laughs> in the movies and, you know, build her relationships that way. And she did an amazing job to the point where when I would think about the movie and I'd think about a scene, I'd go, Was that in the movie or was that in one of her stories, you
1: know? Oh, she was so good. We've talked about her, I think, on the show before. Yeah. Um, She was a big part of our Star Trek fan fiction community. Um, Yes. She was just so active and funny about things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could always count on her to, to have good stories and give good feedback and also Just be hilariously good. And also give us secret information sometimes about um, Bill's horse farms back in Kentucky. Yes, yes, (laughs) because she
2: lives in Kentucky. But anyway, so she wrote um, the subject matter is enjoying your podcasts, And what she has been doing, and I find this really interesting, uh, she is listening to them in reverse order.
1: (laughs) That's dangerous. You got to stop when you get back, uh, like, I don't know. Six years? I I don't think it's worth going back beyond that, honestly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I don't know if when a new one comes out now, if she jumps to that and then mm-hmm. goes back. I don't know how that's working, so I do have to um, ask her about that. But she has uh, some con- uh, some comments, yes. and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with um, what she has to say about discovery. And as listeners know, we love hearing from you. We love your responses. So, you know, you might get read on the podcast as Mm -hmm. she is. And this is what she says. I have to say that I love the character of Spock, but there's no way that he's going to turn into TOS Spock. As far as I'm concerned, Discovery is set in an alternate universe. It's been ages since I've written much of anything, just a couple stories set in the timeline of the new movies because I had to process. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, she says, oh, here's what she had to process. The first one was Spock Prime being near Uhura again mm-hmm. and Spock Prime's death. Hmm. But I have to say that I'm feeling some little nibbles of a discovery story mm. because, of course, I have to figure out how Uhura fits into things. No way it would be Nichelle Nichols Uhura, however. I would have to recast her in my mind. hmm yep fair enough. that sounds right, yeah sure so you know within you know we eventually said everybody had their own Star Trek universe, and within her Star Trek universe, where the focus is on Spock and Uhura being the 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 prime relationship that that is a real interesting question she raises. How mm-hmm. would it be for you know long after her is dead for Spock to go to this other universe mm-hmm. timeline, whatever, and there she is, you know young again,
1: yeah. I would love to read that story. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Did she say in the email um, what she thought of um, Ethan Peck's Spock?
2: Well, she said she she said she said loves him, but she doesn't think he will turn into TOS Spock. Mm, okay. So we'll see.
1: Uh, I was just thinking if they do the Pike series, I, I want her to jump into that with both feet <laughs> because <laughs> I, I want to read her stories about that. Because you know if they do that, they're going to have to have cameos by people like Uhura at some point, just because they have to, right? Everybody <laughs> wants them to. They have to.
2: <laughs> well, um, she, she also points, tells me that at one point she had her very own troll. <laughs> oh my and she says, he or she criticized the way I spackled the TOS movies, which, as you might remember, was always the thing I loved to do the most. Mm-hmm. And this person would say, why can't you come up with your own plots? Don't you have an original thought in your head? <laughs> oh, shut Uh, And then she says, they didn't like my characterizations. They said that Uhura was too proper. I think they wanted her to be more like Zoe Saldana's more brittle Uhura. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. hated Savik and on and on and on. But they read every one of my stories just so they could tell me how awful they were. (laughs) Uh-huh, that sounds like a
1: troll. That's very trollish behavior.
2: <laughs> that That is a, a deeply uh, serious and uh, committed troll. <laughs> she does. Uh-huh. Okay, let me scroll down a little here. Oh, she. I don't remember when we did this, but, you know, she's listening to it backwards. I was interested in your discussions about Vulcan class distinctions and Vulcan bigots, uh-huh. and it was fun to to remember talking about those. She says, I don't think anyone can den- deny that Vulcans are about the biggest bigots in the galaxy. <laughs> I uh-huh. had one lady in particular who was just awful to poor Uhura. <laughs> when she and Spock um, lived on Vulcan after Kirk's death, that's in a story of hers. <laughs> but, you know, we've talked about that, you know, how oh, they, yeah. they look down on humans, they look down on everybody, and obviously their their way of living of totally logical, no emotions, is the be-all and end-all.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they're, because they're lying, right? I mean, that that's <laughs> what underlies all of this, is that they, of course, they have emotions. They're just not, like, expressing them, and maybe that's what they need to do to survive, but they do not want anybody to know that, right? That they have <laughs> to put on this giant exterior of saying, oh, no, we're the most logical creatures in the universe, sure.
2: Yeah, she also says, You said that you weren't aware of a lot of fandom surrounding the reboot movies, but I've actually seen quite a bit, and I'm going to pursue that with her. However, I'm convinced that they're all 13-year-old girls who draw pictures of Spock with hearts in his eyes when he looks at Uhura. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That is fine. You know, there are,
1: I have seen on Tumblr, which is yet another social Mm -hmm. media for fandom there are some people who are really really into uh movie kirk and spock and i don't really care for that because they really tend to portray them like high school bros and i Uh which which is the way they are in the movies i mean you know it's true to the movies versions but i just like oh no it doesn't work for me does not work for me so, you know what? It doesn't work for me,
0: so I just don't read it. That's right. And I don't complain about it, except just now, and now I'm done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and then she points out, in Star Trek VI, when Kirk comes to Spock's quarters and Spock is all depressed about Valera's betrayal, Bill picks up a glass of something and sniffs it. <laughs> I remember that. And that's that. kind of like the way he looks at that beer in the yes. in the movies. Yes. I believe that he was about to do a Shatner swallow. <laughs> With Spock's old stale tea, and he thought better of it.
1: <laughs> um, I watched Trouble with Tribbles the other night because it was on, and in the bar scene when he and Spocker are there, um, I was very disappointed that he didn't do the whole Shatner swallow. He mm-hmm. he picked up the glass, he looked at it, he drank out of it, but then he didn't look at the glass again before he put it back down. Very, very disappointing.
2: Did he hold it in his mouth before he actually swallowed? Yes, he did. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) So at
1: least he got that part done, yeah.
2: All righty. Hmm. Okay. So moving on, the other email came from a friend of mine, and his name is Alan, and because at the time we knew each other, I had another Alan in my life, and so we've Mm -hmm. always called him Other Alan. Mm -hmm. So this came from Other Alan, and it is a a very longish thing. I'm not going to read it all to you. But it was, um, here's how he he describes it. These are my observations on the shows and movies in the Star Trek canon after watching them selectively in chronological order. And by chronological order, he does not mean the order in which they were made. Mm. It's the order in which, if you regard all of this Star Trek that's been out there, movies and episodes, every series, as one universe, these are the order in which they occurred.
1: That's amazing. I don't think I could do that. I, I just I think it would um mess my mind up too much going oh, from I
0: know. Enterprise to TOS like
2: uh no, I can't do it. Okay, well, he starts out with Enterprise. I'm going to skip that because I never watched it except for the first episode and didn't like it. Then he moves into Discovery because that's the next one mm-hmm. chronologically. Um and you know, he he talks about one of the big problems with Discovery is that they have technology that is so far beyond TOS. Um, but one of his things, like through all these, uh, as he does each series, is he talks about the representation of different, different groups. It says, the series shows us a racially mixed Starfleet, and there are many women, including women of color, in powerful leadership positions. Mm-hmm. There are extraterrestrials on board, including on bridge queues, bridge crews. The world of Discovery is unabashedly queer-friendly and Mm non-binary-friendly. Paul Stamets and Hugh Culber provide the central romantic storyline in many episodes. There are even male Orion dancers Mm -hmm. in this series. That's right. That was cool. I love that. He says, despite the tech disconnect from TOS, the Discovery producers and writers made efforts to link up historical events with both that show and Enterprise. I'll never know if enterprise but um a lot of the setup for spock's character is carefully plotted and maps well to spock in the original star trek then he goes to the kelvin timeline movies Mm -hmm. and these films take place in time when kirk and crew are just past being cadets around the time that discovery would be taking place in the main timeline um he feels that despite the alternate timeline kirk and spock and mccoy in these movies link up well with their characterizations in the original Star Trek, and in Spock's case, to Discovery. Now, I would say Kirk does not match up well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spock, pretty good. McCoy, pretty good. Um, he, he points out that there's a huge age difference between original McCoy and <laughs> Kelvin McCoy. Yes. He talks about... Um, Sulu, we get more background on Sulu, both his athletic prowess and his identity as a gay family man. Mm-hmm. Although, if you want to go the retcon route, this means he is either faking his interest in women in the original Star Trek, or he is bisexual. Or maybe he simply developed differently in both timelines. Mm-hmm. Despite these movies taking place in an alternate line, timeline, I found some other issues even more jarring. The biggest problem I have is with Uhura. She got a lot of shit for being the telephone operator (laughs) in the original Star Trek. But her character was also a voice of calm and stayed completely competent through so many crises. Instead of making her character a little stoic or even quietly snarky in her earlier years, J.J. Abrams chose to paint her as more of an outspoken action figure. And that simply doesn't map up with Uhura in the original Star Trek. Mm-hmm. When seeing the Star Trek series after the J.J. Abrams and Justin Lin movies, Uhura seems like a completely different character, like maybe a cousin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with that, and I think it's because
1: everybody in the movies needed to be an action hero. Because that was yes. what those movies were about. So uh, mm-hmm. of all the characters, even though they tried to build her up as the language expert and, um, you know, she has all these other skills and stuff, they they couldn't leave it at that. They still had to make her an action hero
0: and mm-hmm. do all the fighty, fighty stuff.
2: Yep. Uh, this is his final comment on this, that, on that era. And I love it. Also, while it's amusing, the original J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movie is full of unlikely coincidences and plot holes.
0: <laughs> I refuse
2: to rewatch the second Abrams movie, Into Darkness, for a number of reasons, including that as much as I like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, he is no Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> I guess, and I'm yes. Ricardo Montalban,
0: and you, sir, are no Ricardo, <laughs> no <Bon>.
2: Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> Okay, now we get to TOS. Yay! Despite Discovery and the Brian Fuller movies, retconning Starfleet as queer-friendly with plenty of women and extraterrestrials in its leadership, the original series is portrayed as Mm uber-heterosexual, sexist, and governed almost entirely by white men. This is all true. We see women often as objects of desire, sometimes as aliens dressed in amazing gowns, but mostly as crew members in skirts, So short, one can easily see their matching cheerleader panties. Mm -hmm. True, very true. True, and, you know, I pointed out, well, I want to continue reading this, and then I'll talk about that. Most of the women, despite frequently being written as competent in their professions, play damsels in distress, cruel dragon ladies longing to be tamed by men, or, like Nurse Chapel, well-meaning women who fawn all over men because apparently, quote, That's how women are. (laughs) Well, that's how chapel is, anyway. (laughs) Yeah. In many scenes, women express their opinions and are promptly shut down or mansplained to by male characters of any rank. And um, so I told him that in discussions of this particular topic and everything he he has written is absolutely true. Uh, If you look at some comments from Nichelle Nichols, and I believe also maybe some of the female guest stars, they said, We loved wearing those short skirts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We we loved showing off our legs because that was our liberation. This was the era of women's lib. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get past the idea that they were dressing for men. This was dressing in a way that made them feel proud. It's like if you have fantastic biceps, you're going to wear sleeveless shirts a lot. Mm -hmm. And so if you have great legs, you want to show them off. Mm-hmm. And you don't particularly care if men or a certain man likes them or not.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I agreed. And and I, I, like to get back to what we were talking about in the first half of the show with Star Trek, you can't divorce it from the era in which it was produced. You just right. can't. It, it. You know, uh, you couldn't have had um, same sex relationships or people being bisexual or or anything like that in the 60s, because that wasn't the way things were. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, there were people in those relationships, but you couldn't show it on TV because it was just a different time then. So Mm -hmm. every series of Star Trek reflects the time in which it was produced. And that's part of what fanfic is about, right? Is spackling all that over so that it makes more sense.
2: Well, one thing he says, one thought I had in terms of trying to personally retcon the original Star Trek into the egalitarian enterprise, it has to become, is that maybe Starfleet women of this era had had a sort of me-too reckoning in space and had reclaimed their femininity for themselves. These skirts and decolletages—I mm-hmm. hope I'm pronouncing that somewhere near good—um, are it's cleavage are for us, not for you. It would explain the fashion, but not the mansplaining. Mm. And he's right about that. Yeah, that's true. One thing that did not bother me was the Klingons not having ridges, (laughs) bulky builds, or long hair, as in the other Star Trek series, because the Klingon characters came through. And I read their costuming and makeup the same way I perceived the set design, as low-budget artistic decisions versus continuity issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of which, I just love this. The pilot, the cage, shows crew people printing out readouts on paper like receipts from <laughs> CVS.
0: Yep, no, it's absolutely true, mm-hmm. uh,
1: and uh, you know, I, I, I people have said this, and I just to repeat it for its time, right?
0: Mm-hmm. All of the
1: stuff that was in Star Trek was incredibly progressive. So yes, that part of it. Again, you can't divorce it from the time because they pushed as hard as they could. And Mm -hmm. when for me, when I see those little moments that are different, I they really make me happy that they were trying, that they were at least trying when so many others weren't, you know, like um, in the what is it? Yesterday is tomorrow episode when Mm -hmm. the the pilot is on the ship and he says to Kirk, like, uh, oh, you have women on this ship? And, And Kirk's like, yeah, they're crew people yeah <laughs> you know like that's it there's no discussion about this this isn't mm-hmm. weird it's just like they're the crew okay get it we're not going to talk about this anymore it's like ah uh, that's that's the way it should be and that kirk himself is so on board with that is awesome
2: yeah yeah Also, uh, listeners, we want your input on this because I'm too lazy to go look it up. The Enterprise often seems like it was put together with spit and duct tape, which it was, and frequently appears to be one dilithium crystal from becoming a brick in space, (laughs) although it is supposedly the Federation flagship. Now, I believe, if you're going to go strictly canon by what was said and presented in TOS, it was not the flagship, I think that might have been a TNG thing. Hmm.
1: I don't know. I would have to look it up.
2: Okay. So, okay. Then he does the animated series, which, you know, who cares? Um, And then there's the original series movies. First off, I hadn't realized that the musical theme for Star Trek The Next Generation originated with Star Trek The Motion Picture. That is absolutely correct. That's true. I didn't realize that either, but, you know, I watched that once and went, okay, that's enough. And here he makes a statement that I've never heard anybody else make. I enjoyed that first film. (laughs) 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 But he's right about this. I think the producers and directors were going more for a 2001 Space Odyssey vibe than a Star Wars vibe. Mm. Um, Let's see. So then he gets into... uh, Wrath of Khan is good fun and stands as the only callback to the original series that I recognized of all the original cast movies. And that is is true. Mm-hmm. And it is a great movie. And for us, you know, hardcore fans, that it connects so closely mm-hmm. to what is usually one of people's favorite episodes is another reason it is so beloved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Search for Spock is the original cast movie, most like the TV show in tone and plot. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, see that. Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, is the funniest of the original cast movies, and despite all the temporal prime directive limitations imposed in Enterprise and Voyager, this crew is allowed to play fast and loose with the timeline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. But actually... Somebody should, should write a fic about, okay, they get back and they've sa- saved the whales and therefore saved Earth. But then there's a knock on the door and it's the mm. time police. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love in the episode of Deep Space Nine about trials and tribulations when the time police are bitching about Kirk and just saying like, oh, that guy, that they guy. They that man
0: was a menace. That fucking guy. <laughs>
1: They probably have a dartboard with his face on it down at um, Temporal HQ, and they're just like, oh, the things <laughs> we've had to fix because of him, because of him.
2: Yes. Um, in Okay, in terms of queer representation, there's nothing stated, and the small crew even touches down in late 20th century San Francisco and finds not one gay in sight. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit but, of an oversight, isn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: And then he goes into, uh, oh, he he talks a little bit about Troy in the the TNG thing. Mm -hmm. The idea of a ship's counselor, which I'm surmising might require telepathy on one's resume, is that in Kirk State, no one was there to suss out the motivations of unknown space aliens. So a counselor in this new generation could help, even those odds, plus give counseling to crew when needed. Given that in Kirk's day, most deceitful aliens were either committing some form of galactic treason or lying in wait with undetectable technology to make less power life forms dance around like puppets. I'm not sure how much good a counselor would have done that. <laughs> um, let me
1: let me just uh, jump in here for a second because, sure. um, you know, Star Trek's on TV a lot and I end up watching stuff without meaning to just because I'm on the couch. It's like, oh, yep. look, Star Trek's on. So I watched... An episode of TNG called uh, Losses, I think. I could Mm -hmm. be getting that title wrong. The plot of that episode was that Enterprise encounters Alien Thing. Troy temporarily loses her empathic powers um, and everything's all right in the end Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it but the whole episode is a deep dive on her and how she feels like she can't do her job anymore when she doesn't have her powers her mm-hmm. job being the ship's counselor part not really the dealing with the alien menace parts although that factors into it as well and despite the fact that the writing was pretty sucky i think marina sear just did a good job with it and it, of course it really made me want to see the same thing dealt with with like much better writing because i think she would have knocked it out of the park um but it does uh, what you just were saying like do you have to be empathic to be a counselor and that's the thing that she learns is that you don't you know uh-huh. like and picard says this to her he's not as like i can imagine kirk or even cisco being a lot more direct and saying listen Starfleet hired you not because you're an empath, but because you went to school and you did all this stuff and we paid mm-hmm. a lot of money for you to get your degree. So do your job. I don't care that you lost your empathic powers. Like, you know how to do this. You're skilled. You know how to talk to people. You know how to get them to open up to you. You know what you're doing. The empathy thing is frosting on the cake, but you can do your job without it. And that is pretty much what she learns in the end. But um, it it was It was an interesting premise for that, and it would have been so Mm -hmm. much more interesting if she'd lost her powers for more than just one episode, and they hadn't hit the reset button at the end. Right. Well,
2: also, I find it completely believable when you think about it that there would be a ship's counselor on every ship, including TOS. Mm -hmm. because you're sending these people out there you don't know what they're going to encounter they're away from their family everything they've ever known for years on end they're going to need some counseling at some point
1: yeah and McCoy's not the guy to do it i mean just having people come down for a drink that's not helping
2: a drink yeah or a shot of something (laughs) um i think like when Picard, you know, found out Troy was aboard and that she had this additional ability, like you say, frosting on the cake. He said, I want her up here here on the bridge. Mm -hmm. I don't think ship's counselor is usually a bridge position.
0: Uh, No, I wouldn't think so.
1: And presumably on other ships, if they've got empaths who are not the counselors, they get to help on the bridge too when it comes to it right Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's not one definitely with the other it just happens to be both in her but don't have to right
2: um and then he talks about the first of the next generation movie generations Mm -hmm. in which kirk appears And he he says, this film raises a lot of questions. Then he's got like eight to ten questions. (laughs) I'm only going to read a couple of them. But he says, when Guinan in the Nexus says she's a shadow left behind, does that mean Picard and Kirk and the rest were partially left there too? And if there is a shadow Picard in the Nexus, why didn't Picard feel a cripplingly addictive need to go back to the Nexus Mm -hmm. after he left it, like Soren and Guinan did? Good question. Yeah. When Picard rigged Sorin's missile to explode, wouldn't the Trilithium have blown up the whole planet because it was powerful enough to blow up a star? And finally, the Nexus was a ribbon of energy seemingly standing still when the Alorians were being rescued in Kirk's time, but why was it seemingly traveling through the area at full impulse? by the time it was approaching the planet Picard and Soran were on. And then his conclusion is fabulous. This movie seemed written in a hurry to capitalize (laughs) on multiple Star Trek audiences.
0: I agree with that statement 100%. Yes. Yes.
2: So like I said, he goes all the way up through uh, Voyager. So, you know, and that's the most far future one until we see the next season of discovery. But he had a question, and I gave him my ideas, and I'm throwing it out there. If any of you have helpful ideas, he would like to, Um, and he has, you know, published other articles on other things. He would like to get this published or posted, and mm-hmm. where did I think was a good place to publish it? And I said, well, Star StarTrek.com does publish articles yes. like this, and this is very well written. I also pointed out the Mary Sue mm-hmm. might be interested in this. Um, I told him to contact the, the couple who, you know, did the Star Trek compendium and all that. Okudas. Okudas, thank you. To contact them, they might at least be interested in what he has to say. Uh, they might think this might be basis of maybe an appendix to the compendium or something. And I also said, you know, we, we know them, we've interviewed him, wonderful people, you can use my name. Mm-hmm. But listeners, if you have other ideas for a place, this might find a home and people might read it because it is interesting. I've never, first of all, he's got interesting ideas. He's a very intelligent guy. Um, but I've never seen anything that puts it all in order this way. I mean, the chronology does. Mm-hmm. But... The chronology deals with this is what happened in each of these things. Mm-hmm. This is an analysis or a, an overview, not of each series, but how they link up together, how they don't, what, you know, how the universe changes from one to the next. And I just found the whole thing fascinating.
1: I agree. I, I think that the whole... um doing it in the chronological order is a real concept. Like I said, I, I don't think I could do it. I, I just oh, think I it would couldn't. be too much. Yeah. And there's too much that I'm just not that interested in. But yeah, it especially because things are of their time. And I think it's quite jarring when you see the difference between um, the 60s versus the 80s versus the 90s versus the 2000s. That's mm-hmm. really, really, really different. Yep.
2: Cool. So, yeah, listeners, your input on that would be appreciated by us and, of course, by Alan himself, who I have known for, I don't know, 15 years or so. Um, we worked together briefly and just, you know, hit it off. So we've kept in contact. So that these were these two huge emails we got from people we were so happy to hear from yeah. who have interesting ideas. And um, Wildcat and I have sort of picked up where we left off, you know, we sort of, we never had a fight or anything like that, but it's sort of like, you know, the fan fiction thing for me more or less ended, mm-hmm. and then sort of for her, and you know, so we just well, didn't do that back and forth thing that, the way we did, but this is wonderful for me to be back in touch with her, and uh, I, you know... I want, if she's going to be writing more stories, I definitely want to read them.
1: Yeah. Well, also, you know, we, in the past, we have talked to lots of fanfic authors and mm-hmm. I would absolutely be up for doing another uh, interview and just talking to her about fanfic and what it meant and, you know, just all of the things that we asked everybody else. I would love to yeah. talk with her. That'd be Well, so you awesome.
2: know, at one point I did ask her about doing that for us and she didn't want to, because as we said, she lives in Kentucky. And she thinks her speaking voice sounds just like Annie Potts in um, Designing Women. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's great. That's okay. That's perfect. <laughs> so I think that wraps it up for today. Am I right?
1: I think that is it. That was a lot of stuff that we talked about. So I hope uh, everybody out there is coping as best they can. Mm-hmm. Um, we will... Try to keep um, posting amusing things on Facebook and in other places just so that people can um, see what's happening. Things are kind of on hold in a lot of Trek areas at this point, right? Um, Because they're not doing any filming and the Ticonderoga Trek tour is closed for the month of April. As we had discussed last time, I think Bill's uh, dinner cruise is in June and unclear whether that's going to happen depending Mm -hmm. on how things go because it is New
0: York after all and that's where things are pretty bad right now so
2: right but it's pretty bad mostly the the center of that is New York City right but and Ticonderoga is way up there but
1: yeah anything could happen
2: anything Mm -hmm. so we'll
1: just keep on top of things um but in the meantime you know send us email leave us comments at Facebook keep watching star trek and giving us your impressions would love to hear from people about what they thought about the episode uh, the ending of picard and what they are looking forward to in picard season two whenever it happens to happen and who knows about that
2: could be a long time we might be waiting a while for that we might be but um everybody just you know stay safe stay healthy do what you can to protect yourself yeah. And all of us, mm-hmm. we correct. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And one nice thing about this is because I'm not working at all. <laughs> um, we have more time to to do these podcasts a little more frequently. And yeah. we love that because we love doing them. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Definitely. So, yes, everyone stay in touch, stay safe, stay home and watch Star Trek.
2: Yes. And live long and Potluck. Potluck, yay! We'll talk <laughs> to you soon. Okay, bye bye bye. bye. bye.